On this episode of Come Pray With Me, we will be discovering Jainism with Jaipat Singh Jain of Sri Siddhachalam Jain Turf. Though it is lesser known than Buddhism, it is often called its sister religion due to both their similarities and influences over each other. Jainism predates Buddhism by many years and was officially founded by Mahavira, a powerful and wealthy leader who gave up his luxurious lifestyle in order to pursue a life of faith and peace. Much like how Siddhartha Gautama, the founder of Buddhism, was a prince who gave up his royal lifestyle to seek spiritual enlightenment. Jainism has also influenced historical civil rights activists like Martin Luther King Jr. and Mahatma Gandhi. We will be discussing what Jains believe and what aspects of their faith have, and continue to, inspire activists around the world. Okay, so my first question is, uh, Jainism is often referred to as a sister religion to Buddhism. Is this an accurate way to describe it? India has been the wellspring of, uh, of many faiths. If the rest of the world engaged in discovering the physical universe, the Indians seem to have specialized in discovering the recesses of the mind. And that is the area in which uh, Indian thought uh, uh, engaged in. And at uh, different points in time, different thoughts dominated India. At around the time uh, when Mahavira and Buddha were there, there were two major streams of thought. One which is often called Vedic or Brahmanical, and the other which is called Shraman. Shraman word means a thought that believes in equality and a thought that believe in uh, laboring over the aspects of the mind, of the spirit. Uh, so both Buddhism and Jainism are Shraman thoughts. So in that respect, one can call them sisters. I think that is really interesting, some of the ways in which they overlap or have similarities, including the way that they were founded, and as you mentioned earlier, being found in the same region of India, as well as founders with similar backgrounds, with both of them originally being very high-profile people that chose to give up these uh, sort of lives of wealth and luxury in order to pursue a life of deeper spiritual meaning in existence and both found what they were looking for and went on to devote the rest of their lives to spreading their message to others. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, Mahavira was the senior contemporary and uh, he was the prince of um, a principality, I would say, uh, in that region just as uh, the Buddha was a prince uh, of a similar principality in an adjacent region. In fact, the same federation of kingdoms had at one end, the northern end, uh, Buddha uh, as the prince and Mahavira as the prince, of course, about 35 years before him, uh, uh, in, in, a, in, in the same geographical region. 
uh, indeed. And both of them gave up uh, lives of uh, luxury and wealth uh, for a deeper search. So one of the main ways that Jainism is different from Buddhism is the belief in souls. So Mahavira declared that everything has a soul from humans to animals and even plants and pebbles. But on the other hand, Buddha declared that nothing has a soul. So in what ways do Jains view the concept of a soul? So I'm going to speak uh, to um, the Jain concept as distinguished from the Buddhist concept. Um, um, under the Jain concept, uh, you can divide uh, this universe into two uh, easy halves, the living and the non-living. So the physical is largely largely, not altogether, non-living. Um, and the uh, life exists uh, from in water, in air, in fire, and then it gradually evolves. So there are one-sensed beings, there are two-sensed beings, and finally, as humans, we are five-sensed beings. And this evolution corresponds to our level of consciousness. So at the earliest one sense level are the plants. At that level, they have a sense of touch. They are aware that they are alive. But uh, their sense of consciousness is very rudimentary. As it goes to the second, third, fourth, five senses, the sense of consciousness and of pain and of suffering and of coexistence increases gradually until it reaches the human form and the form of certain other animals, elephants and lions, for instance, where there is an acute sense of existence, of self, of pain, of suffering, of um, um, the need to coexist. And um, Jains believe that we take these different forms from the plant to the animal, to heaven being, to a hell being, depending on how we think, speak, and do. So a combination of thoughts, words, and deeds that we do in this lifetime helps make that selection of what kind of a life will I have when I am reborn. And the knower in all this is the soul. Soul is a perfectly uncontaminated state is a form of godhood. Whereas it, depending on the kind of contamination we have, um, I'm gluttonous, I'm thoughtless, I'm instinct-driven, uh, I rely on my senses for everything and not on my mental faculties. Such a person who does not use her or his mental faculties is more likely to be reborn as an animal driven by instinct. So life 
returns to us, um, but in a different form, one of these forms. So our current bodies are just one form of uh, 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 manifestation that the soul has uh, based on our prior thoughts, words, and actions. That's it's the really concept of soul concept. that re, re, comes again and again until a point when soul purifies itself uh, and reaches Godhood. So Jainism, simply put, is the path of purification of the soul. That's a really unique concept, especially the whole parts about reincarnating until your soul is finally purified and there being both hell beings as well as heavenly beings that people could actually become when they reincarnate. So could someone reincarnate even as a rock or a tree and not just animals? The four uh, forms of life uh, would be plant, animal, hell being or heaven being. Uh, rocks are inanimate objects, but on rock might exist some form of life. But rock in of itself is the non-living. So uh, what are the Titankaras and what relationship do Jains have to them? So those humans who succeed in getting um, conquering is the term that we use, conquering their inner enemies. And the inner enemies are pride, greed, anger, deceit, um, attachment, aversion. So these passions are our inner enemies. Um, a false view of the world is also an inner enemy. So those among us who succeed in conquering these passions and these inner enemies reach a higher level of consciousness. Because in their search for consciousness, if we keep getting distracted by sensory perceptions, by our what we see, what we hear, what we breathe, what we eat, and we are driven by our bodily needs altogether, our pursuit of consciousness suffers. These beings, these humans have reached a point where they can conquer their sensory and bodily needs altogether and focus entirely on inner consciousness. There, when they reach a state of total consciousness, and have managed to learn how to get rid of all of these things, they go out and tell others, those, of, uh, those who decide to share their path of how they conquered their inner enemies are called Tirthankars. And in this time cycle, Jains divide the universe in, 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 in time cycles. And time cycles keep repeating themselves. The universe is beginningless and is endless. 
It is just that it keeps getting transformed. And there, there is a certain uh, sequence to events uh, when one views them in millions and thousands of years. And in this time cycle, there were 24 such beings, Jains believe, uh, who instructed us on how to conquer our inner enemies. We call them Tirthankars. Thank you for sharing that. That was really fascinating. I think it's really interesting how other religions also have these similar people like the uh, Buddhism has the Bodhisattvas and Catholicism has saints, all of which are these enlightened people who even today, many centuries later, people still look up to them for guidance in their faith. So to your second half of the question, what is our relationship to them? Uh, our relationship to them is that of, uh, um, they are like models, like heroes. There is no uh, trade between us, between them and us. My ideas, my thoughts, my words, my deeds, my prayers don't reach them. They are beyond reach. What they stand for and the relationship I have is that they are exemplars of a path that I also wish to pursue. And in that, they are a constant source of inspiration and example. But there is no commerce between the two. They live in a universe all of their own. I think that's a really unique concept because in all other faiths, it's usually like uh, Catholics will pray to a particular saint when they need help with something or if they are worried about something going on, you pray to the saint and ask them to try to help you. But for the Jains, even though Tatankaras are comparable to the Catholic saints for their status and roles, you would not just go up to them and start asking them to help you out with whatever you have going on. It's more like they're a model that has given you the, the tools and the frame you need to get to where you need to be. Because in the Jain sense of cosmology, they are in a universe which is above heaven. There are heaven beings. Um, a, a good monk uh, might become a heaven being after he dies. And as a heaven being, he may have the powers to grant me my wishes. So to that extent, Jains do reach out to heaven beings. Uh, but that is more of a sign of weakness uh, than a foundational um, uh, principle of the faith. At a foundational level, it is well understood that those whom we call gods, these are the Tirthankars, are beyond our reach and uh, um, they have nothing uh, to do with the universe, the material universe we live in.
So what is the threefold path? The term threefold path is not of Jaina origin. Uh, the term Jains use to highlight three important aspects of the path of purification is called the three jewels as opposed to threefold path because it really is one path uh, which has three dimensions to it and it is uh, what is called samyak darshan samyak gyan samyak charitra samyak darshan means uh, in simple language uh, the right faith an enlightened faith enlightened view of the world enlightened view of your own existence uh, your an enlightened view of where you are in relation to the universe enlightened knowledge which is knowingness of this place in the world and enlightened conduct uh, conduct which conforms um, to uh, conduct of someone who has acquired the knowledge of his or her existence in the universe. So one pursues right conduct, right knowledge and right belief in order to advance in the path of self-purification. So these three um, aspects of the pursuit of self-purification of one's soul uh, are celebrated in Jainism, highlighted in Jainism, and uh, very beautifully explained in Jainism. Uh, and that's what we call the Three Jewels. Thank you for explaining that. I think it makes a lot more sense to me now. So what is Ahimsa and how do Jains practice that in their daily lives? So Ahimsa is um, 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 one of the foundational um, principles and manifestations of a Jain. Uh, a being who is brave, um, you must have observed that a wild animal and a lion or a, or a tiger does not kill for sport. It only kills uh, when hungry. Uh, so you have all these stories of a mouse going to a tiger and a mouse talking to a tiger and a goat and a tiger getting along well and a cow and a tiger drinking from the same place. Uh, those are all true. Just because one is a tiger uh, doesn't mean that the moment a tiger sees a mouse, it kills the mouse. No, they coexist. Um, the point I'm making is that brave are given to refrain from violence. And that is a characteristic of brave humans as well. So violence and the resort to violence is an outcome of fear, is an outcome of doubt, is an outcome of 
insecurity. He who is not given to insecurity is naturally brave, is fearless, is less likely to resort to violence. So a Jain cultivates himself or herself, trains himself or herself, vows to refrain from violence because the Jain recognizes that uh, the other form or other person to whom he or she will engage in violence is none other than somebody like him, is another living soul, equally given to pain and pleasure, equally given to suffering, equally having a right to live. So if our declaration of independence says that all of us are born equal, have a right to uh, life, liberty, and happiness, the Jains could very well say that it applies not to all men are created equal, but all beings are created equal, each having inalienable right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. This belief uh, in a, um, the value of each life and every form of life is what is called Ahimsa. This form of fearlessness, this form of self-assurance that violence is actually a breakdown of a person such a person resorts to fear, such a person resorts to doubt, such a person resorts to insecurity. And refraining from violence is Ahimsa. Um, ahimsa is therefore a characteristic of an evolved person. And for a layman, Ahimsa is also a vow. As a Jain, I take a vow. Uh, I shall not engage in violence, which many other faiths do as well. I think that's a really beautiful and inspiring concept. And I can see why historically so many activists, even if they were not Jain, were heavily inspired by Jain practices, including Ahimsa, like uh, Mohandas Gandhi was very inspired by Ahimsa, as well as uh, American civil rights activist Martin Luther King Jr. Of course, of course. And the idea of Ahimsa is not um, unique to um, any set of people. Even Jesus advocated Ahimsa. Um, if one were to uh, hit you on your cheek, you turn your other cheek. That is a form of enormous spiritual strength. Uh, unparalleled spiritual strength to be able to say that uh, and, and, and uh, instead of hitting out at the other person that would be violence. Kartik Purnima, a holiday that celebrates the first sermon of Risha Banata, who was also the first Tatankara, is approaching soon. How do Jains celebrate this holiday and how have they had to adapt to it with COVID-19? Very nice. Um, a question. So, um, Kartik is the eighth month in the Hindu calendar. The Hindu calendar is a, a lunar-solar combination calendar. 
and tomorrow is the uh, kartik amavasya amavasya means uh, the new moon total dark when the moon is in complete darkness uh, tomorrow is the most important festival of the jains tomorrow which is called kartik amavasya mahavira left his human body and because the human the light that had was all around us left to the highest place man can reach in celebration of that life jains celebrated by uh, lighting lamps and we call it diwali the same month 15 days later results in the full moon so just as tomorrow is going to be the night of total darkness 15 days from now it will be the light when the it will be the night with full moon on that particular uh, uh, occasion on that particular night rishabnath the first tirthankar he is the man who gave to the world agriculture he showed the path that you don't have to kill in order to live or to eat so agriculture is one of his contribution his first lecture after he acquired complete total consciousness was in a place in india and because he made his first lecture on that particular day the day on which there was full moon in the month of kartik every year people visit that place and uh, there is a large temple there there are 1008 temples in that small town it is the only vegetarian town of india and uh, they visit that place in order to pay respects to the first tirthankar from whom the religion of jainism started and that goes to prehistory so covid-19 has uh, um suddenly reduced the enthusiasm and the ability to travel and and to congregate um but uh, uh, remote uh, uh, participation uh, thanks to technologies like zoom uh through which we are talking uh have have proliferated everywhere and uh, uh the temple administrations of the world are no different and they have also utilized these technologies to remotely connect people to the places of pilgrimage and uh, that's how uh, we will observe kartik purnima is also the last day for jains to end the four month period during which travel is restricted so technically on that day and thereafter jains freely travel around uh, so of course here we have been in a forced uh, lockdown uh, so everybody has become a jain so to say <laughs> a jain monk in the sense that we have been compelled into forced lockdown whether we like it or not um, 
And uh, usually in India, in certain cities, uh, they celebrate a form of Diwali that day called Deep Deepavali. And uh, uh, they again light uh, candles and lamps because on that day it is said that gods descend from the heaven to rejoice at the first sermon that the Tirthankara had given. So if someone were to attend one of your services, what should they expect? So, um, Jainism is a personal religion and temples are, the sole purpose of temples is to be a, a venue where you can in an unhindered fashion engage in reflection, um, self-purification, cleansing your mind of thoughts, um, joining others similarly placed. But we don't expect, uh, we don't have a concept of a service where uh, a monk or a, a pastor or a minister will administer or teach us something. So in that sense, we don't have a concept of a daily service, but there are temple rituals that occur every morning, every afternoon and every evening. And a typical uh, ritual would be for those who believe in a temple, there are many Jains who don't believe in the concept of a temple, but for those who believe in a temple, a typical uh, ritual would be the washing of the statues and uh, um, saying uh, praises uh, to the Tirthankars. Uh, and uh, most of our services and most of our rituals are connected with five events in the life of the Tirthankar. Conception, birth, monkhood, total consciousness, and final liberation. So all of our rituals are invariably either talking about the praise of the Lord or recreating events associated with their birth, with their conception, their birth, their monkhood, their consciousness, and then their one. So a typical service, if you were to come into my temple and over the weekend we have a lot of celebrations, would be to sing hymns, uh, to, to uh, what we call bhajans, uh, they are like songs and there are some very popular, so several people will get together to do that and to say some mantras. Mantras are uh, powerful syllables, words put together so as to result in mental vibrations that are positive, that are auspicious. So they will be saying mantras and they'll be saying bhajans, and that would be a typical uh, service if you were to go to a temple. Thank you for sharing that. So what ways do Jains use prayer in their faith? Uh, Jains use prayers to recommit themselves to the path of liberation shown by the Tirthankar. So it is with a view to reaffirm their resolution, reaffirm their faith, 
to fortify their faith and to immerse themselves in meditation. So they say prayers at the commencement of meditation. They say prayers at the end of meditation. They say prayers with a view to get into a meditative state. So those are the reasons they say prayers. Do you have any prayers you would like to share with our audience today? Do I have any prayer that I'd like to share? Yes, there is a very, um, the most popular, most important Jain prayer uh, is called the Navkar Mantra. Um, and uh, I, it is in a language which is not a spoken or written language uh, today. A, the form in which we have received it is about 2,500 years old. It is an early form of Sanskrit. Sanskrit is a more popular language. Uh, Hindi was derived partly from Sanskrit. So this predates Hindi, this predates Sanskrit, and it is um, uh, a prayer which I can explain uh, once I say it. Uh, and I, the only prayer I'm allowed to sing is this one, because if I sing anything else, people will throw me out of the room. That's how bad I sing. <laughs> no, I'm will, sure you're not that bad. Give no. me the license to sing the prayer because they can't deny me that. Uh, so it says, Ramo Rihantaram. Ramo Rihantaram means I bow to the Tirthankar. Ramo Siddhalam. I bow to the Siddha. Ramo Ayariyalam. I bow to he who has reached that state that by example he leads. Such a person is ordinarily a leader of a of the Jains, a monk who has reached an exalted state. We call him Acharya. So I'm going to bow before such a person. Ramu I bow before someone who provides me scriptural knowledge. Ramu Siddhanam, Ramu Ayariyanam, Ramu Ajayanam, Ramu Loesavasahulam. I bow before every monk who pursued, pursues self purification and the path of liberation. I before such a monk, maybe in any faith, maybe in any religion, maybe anywhere in the world, but such a person who pursues the path of self-purification, regardless of his faith, I bow before him. Sarva Pava Parasano Mangalam Chasavese 
I bow before these five great personages because in doing so, I open myself to the path of self-purification and such openness is an essential characteristic of a Jain and any seeker. And I believe that in doing so is the best way to receive knowledge, understanding, enlightenment. May I be blessed. May all be blessed. That was very beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you, Sarah. You have engaged in a wonderful pursuit of knowing and sharing with others the different faiths. When you asked me, that is Buddhism a sister faith of Jainism, I meant to answer that all faiths are brothers and sisters. As you can see from this prayer, this is a non-denominational prayer. It doesn't say that I pray to Lord Mahavira or Lord Buddha or Jesus. It simply says that I bow before everyone who has conquered his inner enemies. I bow before everyone who has reached a state of total consciousness. I before bow before everybody who sets an example of the path of purification. I bow before every monk who pursues that. So in this respect, you will find that the most important Jain prayer is non-denominational. It is true for all faiths. All faiths seek to make a better human being out of us. And it doesn't matter whether one is a Jain or Buddhist or Christian or even a Muslim. So long as we seek to make ourselves better, we set example for all others. If you would like to learn more about Jainism's activist history, the play Gandhi Before Gandhi is a great resource. It tells the story of Virchand Gandhi, who was the first Jain to come to the U.S. and publicly share his beliefs to an audience. He was also the first person to represent the faith at the World Parliament of Religions. You can find more about what Jains believe at www.sithachalam.org.